to Between Innings with Dan Polko. Episode, we don't know. Episode number to be determined. It's been a long year, but here we are. Uh, We are late in September, five games remaining now in the regular season. And we're here for one final episode while the regular season is still going on. And then we'll, uh, we'll be back with a little end-of-season episode uh, sometime in very early October to preview the off-season, uh, look back on everything that was over the last six months. Dan Kolko and John Harvey here with you on Between Innings. John, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. This is uh, episode nine of season two, for the record. Thanks for getting to that. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I'm good. You know, ready for the off season at this point. Now that we know that the Nats aren't in the playoffs, and we know our season ends on Sunday, so you kind of have that as an end point. Where in the past seasons, you don't really know when the season's going to end until it ends. But um, no, everything's good, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, this is different in that. We've always approached the end of the regular season knowing that our broadcasts, in terms of the game broadcasts, are done, but not having an end point for when the national season would end, you know, hoping that they would go very deep into October. This is, this is strange in that we know exactly the, the, when our last day of work is going to be. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I've been known to dabble in sports gambling. and don't You're tell, putting that on the record. Don't tell my wife. But uh, it's funny because when you get to the postseason, uh, the way most of us in the crew are paid are freelancers. So we get paid per day that we work. And in the postseason, the farther they make it, the more you, money you make. So it's almost like we're betting on the Nationals every day because the more they advance, like the extra day rate you get, which is kind of funny. So I don't know. Maybe I'll have to go back to football or something. So it's gambling without actually doing the gambling. Safer gambling. Yeah, except it's your livelihood other than that. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, it's, it's gambling without the, uh, the label. Yeah. Um, yeah, first, first thing that I kind of wanted to discuss as we get into, um, our between innings episode today is just the situation that the nationals are in and that those of us who are around the team and those of us that are fans of the team are in, you know, obviously this has been a, a disappointing year. This is not where, uh, the nationals expected they would be players, coaches, staffers, front office, everyone. Um, it's not where the fan base expected this, this team would be. Um, but I, I think as we, it's very easy to get caught up in, um, the micro in, in the smaller picture. But as we pull this back and look at the bigger picture, John, something that stands out to me is that we are feeling, um, surprised and disappointed and all of these things when, this is a feeling that most organizations feel on a pretty regular basis. The fact that, you know, the Nationals had won four division titles in the last six years. They had won two in a row. Um, we've been almost conditioned here to expect the postseason. And, and I don't want to say that fans took it for granted. I don't want to say that they didn't appreciate the, the quality regular season performances because I think to a large extent they did. Um, but I think that a season like this just kind of reinforces that, A, it isn't guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed in this game. You have to go out there and earn it. And that the Nationals have given us a lot of really positive times and experiences over the last handful of years. And obviously, you know, that hasn't carried over to the postseason yet in terms of series wins. But um, Nationals fans have had a lot of enjoyment from April through September 
over the last six years. And I, I think the disappointment this year, to me at least, reinforces that and reinforces the sentiment that the Nationals have had a lot of success. And this is uh, a blip as compared to what a lot of other organizations experience on a more regular basis. Well, I think your last line is the key point in that, yes, we, we've been immensely spoiled, and so have the fans in the national success over the last handful of years. I guess the only difference is that the Nationals were supposed to make the playoffs this year. So they, they're different from a lot of other teams like the Orioles or the Royals or the Marlins. They they knew they were not making the playoffs this year. So there was never that sense of disappointment. The Orioles came into this year ready to contend. I mean, they all the moves that they had made this offseason signaled that they wanted to contend this year. I think your point is valid, but there are, you know, the, the bottom five teams, the bottom seven teams certainly, but there are plenty of other teams that hoped to and expected to contend this year and it didn't work out. Right, and I think the Nats not only expected to contend, but to be a championship team. So, so yeah, I mean, it was a huge, huge disappointment, a huge letdown this year. And it is very, it's a very different feeling than, than in years past, but that speaks to the success they've had over the last handful of years. And it's not like the Nats fell apart and are rolling into the last week, 20 games under 500. They had a lot of injuries statistically more than almost any other team in baseball, even though no one wants to hear that. Um, and it just was one of those years, everyone, not everyone, but people come up to me knowing that I work with the Nationals and say, so what happened to the team this year? And my best rationale or explanation is just it wasn't their year. Yeah. When they hit, they didn't pitch. When they pitched, they didn't hit. And it's as simple as that. It really is. I mean, because there was, even up until two weeks ago, there were so many little stretches that you could have said, you looked back and said, ah, they should have won that game. And if they did, what if? You know, and they so they, they kept it interesting all the way to – about a week ago, and it just it just didn't work out for him this year. That's simple as that. Yeah, I've I've given the same type of response dozens of times, which is that it just didn't really sync up for whatever reason. There wasn't a stretch really all year where the starting pitching, the bullpen, and the offense was clicking. They had that great run in May, but that was largely uh, based on the dominance of the rotation. And then Steven Strasburg goes down, and then Jeremy Hellickson goes down, and then you're putting guys in situations that they haven't experienced in the past or uh, you know established success in in the past. Um, and you know, as you said, when they hit, they, the bullpen was struggling. When the bullpen was pitching well, the rotation it just it didn't sync up. And you know, you can toss blame at any number of individual people, and I'm sure there are a lot of people associated with the construction of the roster, the daily uh, lineup construction, the, the daily play on the field that would want to shoulder some of that blame. But I don't blame, everyone says, who's to blame? You know, what, what's the cause of, there, in my mind, there is not one person to blame. There's not two people, three people. There are, you could spread that blame uh, around uh, pretty evenly in my view. And that's, that's just a sign of baseball sometimes being a very strange game, a fluky game. You can have a year like the A's did, or the Rays did, for, for that matter. The Rays, as we're recording this, have 87 wins on the season after selling off pieces at the deadline. Um, and you just don't know ever what's going to happen in this game. And I think this year is a, is a perfect example of that. Yeah, and another example of that is there were stretches throughout the season, and I'm talking month-long stretches, that the national starting rotation was the best in baseball. 
the Nationals' offense since the All-Star break or a little after the All-Star break has been the best in baseball. There was a like a three-week stretch in July that the Nats' bullpen was the best in the National League. Right. So it, it's like, yeah, you can't say, okay, well, the bullpen was horrible. That's why they didn't have success this year. Well, that's not true as a whole. You know, the, the off, I mean, you can't pick an individual person because that's not fair in baseball. But, I mean, it, it really is an anomaly, and that's why this game is beautiful and why it's so crushing at times, too. And, you know, we can just kind of wrap this conversation with this before we get to our uh, lengthy Bryce Harper interview, which we aired on Masson, and we will uh, play for you coming up shortly. Um, I, I just uh, – I know that people within the organization have heard – rumblings around the league among other people in the sport among fans about a window closing nobody inside the organization believes that or anything close to it is Bryce Harper a free agent this year yes did the team trade off what five six pieces of their roster seven pieces yes do they still think that they're going to be at the top of this division next year yes this is not a, a situation where and a disappointment in 2018 is going to lead to any type of sell-off uh, in the long term or any type of feeling that uh, they're not going to contend in the future. They still have building blocks. They still have resources. They have more resources now than they did two months ago after dropping $13 million in payroll. Um, they have so much money coming off the books, and this is going to be a fascinating offseason for so many different reasons, which we can – get into down the road after the season's over. But um, I think it, it would be easy for people to take the disappointment this year and turn it into a, oh, the Nationals are done. They're done for the next X number of years. And I don't in any way believe that that's the case. And nobody in that building who works there on a daily basis believes that that's the case either. Right. And you, you refer to the, the window closing. So if I were to ask you, and you can answer for the common perception, was the window closed going into this year? No. Right. So the window you're, you're saying was from like 2012 when they first got good until this year and it was still open. Well, how many players from the 2012 team are on this team? Uh, two, three, maybe three Hart, Strauss and Zim and Zim Gio was, you no. know, but he's no longer. So, okay. So you're saying the same window encapsulates the 2012, not you. I'm saying the proverbial. Sure. Yeah. But the 2012 team and the 2018 team, but there's three common players. So like, yeah, the the faces are going to change, but the window's not going to change. In my mind, the window's open for a couple more years. As long as you have Max at the front of your rotation, the window's going to be open. And you have guys now like Juan Soto who extends that window possibly even further. Yeah, so, how can you possibly say that a window is closing when you have guys like him and Victor Robles and others coming onto the scene? Right. It's just a lot of the, the pundits or the, the, the writers or whatever act like the Nationals have been the same for seven years. And they're very different than they were in 2012. So they're going to be different in 2019, maybe very different. But that doesn't mean the window closes. I still think the window's open. Yeah, to your point, Adam LaRoche was at the ballpark just the other day, and he was on the team in 2014 when the Nationals made the postseason just four years ago. And you and I were sitting on the, the Nats extra pre-postgame set trying to go through, even in 2014, who Adam LaRoche would know in the Nationals' dugout now. And we came up with Zim and Bryce and Michael A. Taylor Tony. And Rendon, and really that was about it. So there is so much turnover, and there is so much talent remaining on this team that I, I think the, the notion that the Nationals are not in a position to contend next year is uh, just a bit silly. Um, all right, John, let's go inside 
the clubhouse. And let's play now um, our sit-down interview with Bryce Harper that we've been airing in three parts over uh, the last few days on our Mass and Nats Extra pregame show. This was um, over the last, when did I sit down with Bryce? On Friday, Friday. of last week. Um, on top of the Nationals dugout for 15 minutes. And we discussed the day that he got drafted by the Nationals until um, possibly the day that he walks out of Nationals Park, possibly in a Nats uniform for the last time. Uh, a lot to cover and a lot of topics that Bryce hasn't been willing to discuss for much of this season um, but he was very open, very reflective, very honest. Um, I really enjoyed sitting down with him. You did a really nice job editing it together for our Nats Extra pregame show. And I figure we might as well uh, play it for everyone now in full. So here now is Bryce Harper talking about everything uh, from 2010 to now. Bryce, June 7th, 2010, you were drafted by the Washington Nationals. We sit here now more than eight years removed from that day. What do you remember about that day? Uh, man, I mean, it was definitely surreal, you know, being able to go through that whole process of, you know, going to CSN, actually coming out of high school early, going to CSN, um, seeing Rizzo and, you know, Booney at my games uh, over at CSN, and then um, them, you know, telling me that they possibly were going to take me at number one um, was a dream come true. You know, I, I knew I had to work that year, and, do the things I needed to do to be able to become a Washington National and uh, be able to hear my name uh, be said by then Bud, Bud Selig um, was one of the greatest days of my life, definitely. The Nationals hadn't done a lot of winning prior to you being drafted by this organization. How did you view the opportunity that being drafted by the Nationals presented you? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, they had a great draft the year before with Steven Strasburg. Um, they were able to get uh, Jason Worth as well in free agency who, you know, won a lot in Philly, had a long career. Um, and then Zim, you know, I mean, having a guy like that, um, you know, as your cornerstone of your organization, um, playing third base, and you can talk about Desi and Storm as well at the back end of our bullpen. We had a great team. We had a lot of veteran guys. We had a lot of young guys. And uh, I was really excited to just be part of that. You know, I was excited to be able to come to the nation's capital um, and play baseball. I mean, this is such a, you know, beautiful city. and. Um, it was it was fun to be able to come and be part of that that one night uh, when I when I came and signed and I mean it was just uh, it was a lot of fun. You got called up to the major leagues in April of 2012. What do you remember about the the early days and weeks as a major league ball player? Yeah, I mean I think the biggest thing for me was I was in Syracuse and it was about 30 degrees <laughs> <laughs> and I just I wanted to get out of there. I was hitting about a buck 20 um, with like a one homer and three RBIs or something like that and you know beautiful Syracuse. Um, you know I was trying to do the best I could down there playing for uh, Beasley at the time and you know I remember uh, we got snowed out and he was sitting there and he called me in the office and um, he was like, hey, you know, uh, we got snowed out today, but uh, I think we're going to get a lot of sunshine tomorrow. And I was like, oh, great, you know, we got sunshine tomorrow. We're going to be, you know, playing here tomorrow. It's going to be awesome, you know, just really excited. And uh, he goes, no, you're going to L.A. And I looked at him, and I was like, going to L.A., huh? And he goes, yeah, you're going to play against the Dodgers tomorrow night. And uh, I remember the first thing I asked him, I said, well, who's throwing tonight? 
and he said, Kershaw's throwing tonight, so you're going to miss him. <laughs> so I thought, okay, perfect. Um, Dodge so the I, bullet there. Exactly. So, I mean, I was just, I was so, you know, I was so over the top excited. And I remember walking into, you know, being able to call my mom and dad, walking down the hallway, and uh, being able to tell them that I was going to the big leagues was, you know, an incredible moment. And to be able to just get on that plane and live that moment of, you know, going to play at Dodger Stadium and walking into the clubhouse, seeing all the big league guys, um, I felt right at home. That had been something that you had been dreaming of for a long time. And you, I know you pride yourself on every day that you take a big league field playing, you know, giving everything that you have. But when you reflect back on those early days, um, what were the emotions like? What, what was having that dream realized like? I think for me it was, it was more of, you know, I walk into the clubhouse, I'm ready to go, and we're just getting started. You know, it was it was more of kind of unfinished business of, you know, getting there and um, being there and knowing that I had an opportunity to play every single day. Um, having a manager in Davey Johnson that really trusted in me and trusted in young guys. Um, you know, Zim got hurt, so I was able to get to the big league. So I still thank Zim today uh, for giving me, the, giving me that opportunity. Um, but also, I mean, just the learners and, you know, Davey really, you know, trusted in me of, you know, letting me play in the big leagues at such a young age and being able to help the team. And that, I mean, at that time, they were, we were playing so well as a team um, that I just wanted to come in and be, you know, part of the team and be another guy. Um, of course, you know, I think everybody knew how much media and, you know, how the circus would have been, um, you know, how it was. And I just, I wanted to put that all to the side and just play the game of baseball and not be a, you know, distraction to anybody else or anything like that. And, you know, not really mess up anything that was going on because, you know, the Nats were in first place, I think, at that point. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to be able to, you know, be part of that and, you know, help out the team. You mentioned all the distractions and everything. Do you, do you remember a point in that rookie season when things started feeling comfortable or a little more settled for you? Um, I mean, to tell you the truth, I mean, probably against Cole that night when he hit me. Um, you know, just being able to play my game and be able to do the things I was able to do, um, being able to still home and just know that I was part of that team that night and be able to play a good Phillies team and kind of taking over the NL East at that point and knowing how good we were and, you know, the Phillies were good, you know, in years prior and um, being able to take it over a little bit and say, okay, hey, you know, the Nats are here and we're, we're here to stay. And, um, I mean, just being able to come to Nats Park and get a standing O and, you know, really be able to be part of the team, part of the club. And, uh, I mean, no greater memory. That was the first of four division championships that the Nationals won in, in your time here so far. Um, is there any one of those four either years or titles that stands out to you as even more meaningful or special than the rest? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always said the first one because it was, it was the first one. And, you know, I mean, D.C. didn't uh, know much of, you know, winning from the Nationals or anything like that from that point. And, I mean, you know, I think the Senators made it to the World Series once or something sure. like that. Um, but, I mean, in this era, I mean, being able to, you know, from – 05 on, I mean, with Zim and everything like that, it kind of, you, know, you had some losing seasons and, um, you know, it was just something that being able to come in that year and, uh, you know, win a title. And I remember running around the field with Jay um, and the whole team and, you know, the crowd and the fans and everything. I think we were playing the Phillies that night as well when we clinched. I think so, yeah. Um, so that was pretty cool as well because, you know, I mean, like I said, it was kind of like, well, they pass the baton to us a little bit where you know we're the new team and we're coming in and we're trying to win ball games and uh we were able to do that that first year and get into the playoffs and of course you know it didn't go our way but uh it was a lot of fun to be part of 
when you look back on, on your time here, the success that, that you've had individually, the success that this organization has had in this time, what are you proudest of? Uh, just the way we've grown as, a, as an organization, as a club. Um, you go from 100 lost seasons to, you know, 95 win seasons. And, I mean, to be able to have the team that we have from, you know, our minor leagues all the way up to the big leagues, it's pretty impressive. Um, you know, Mike Rizzo does a great job in the draft. Our scouts do an amazing job in the draft as well. So every year we're competitive mm -hmm. and we're able to be competitive. And I think, you know, the Nationals fans have been, you know, really good for us and they've been accustomed to winning. And I mean, I think with the team and the you know, organization that we have, um, Rendon, you know, Trey, Soto, I mean, you look at all the guys that have accumulated with this, with this organization, have grown with this organization, um, it's pretty impressive to see, you know, year in, year out, we're able to, you know, compete and be the team that we are. How have you seen the way baseball is viewed here in D.C. change from the time you got drafted to now? I think people love coming to ball games. I think people love to be able to come to the ballpark and know that their team's got a chance to win every single night, and you're able to see someone special every single night. If that's Steven Strasburg taking the mound or Max Scherzer taking the mound, night you know, running out to left field hitting homers, um, you know Rendon playing Gold Glove defense and you know hitting 300. I mean, it's it's impressive to see the guys that come to the ballpark every single day and really give it their all and I mean from the time that I was here you had so many guys that were really really good and um, you got free agencies coming in and or uh, free agents coming in and you know trades and things like that during the break and um, I mean just knowing that our organization wants to win year in and year out I think fans should be happy about that and um, it's a lot of fun to be able to see uh, it has changed in the nation's capital to a pretty good baseball city and seeing that W uh, as you walk around the, the city is really really cool. How is the Bryce Harper that's here sitting next to me now different than the one that first showed up here at Nationals Park? I got a beard. <laughs> <laughs> same, man, same. <laughs> no, I mean, I think just, you know, learning how to really enjoy the game and really trying to just be myself every single day and not really worried about what other people think or anything like that. I mean, I never have, but, uh, you know, this game is, it can take a toll on you sometimes. and. Day in and day out, I try to come in here and be the you know best teammate I can and best player I can as well, and show out for the fans every single night, and you know show out for my number one fan, my wife, every single night as well. Um, you know, so it, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, be able to you know drive down 395, which isn't fun uh, because <laughs> of the traffic, but being able to drive down 395 and get off the exit, um, you know, and drive down to Capitol and you know take that left into the ballpark. Um, yeah, I love it. I love every single day of driving by the monuments and you know seeing the Jefferson and seeing the Capitol and um, it's just it's the little things that remind you of you know when you come back on a road trip and having that feeling of home and uh, it's a lot of fun to uh, come to the ballpark and play every single night. How much thought have you given to the fact that this could be your last home stand here as a member of the Nationals? Yeah, I mean, I haven't thought about it much because I don't really want to think about it, not yet. Um, and you never know what's going to happen. So, I mean, I don't really want to think about, you know, this being a farewell or anything like that. Um, of course, everybody knows it could be a possibility. Um, but I hope I'm in the plans. You know, I think that we're a very special team. You know, Robles and Soto, um, Rendon, Trey. I mean, you, you can see the team and how it has evolved um, with two top starters. and you know, Max and uh, Strasburg. So um, if I'm in those plans, I, I would be absolutely, you know, thrilled to be back. Um, but I think, you know, that, that goes to, you know, 
both sides of the game. So um, it's just if I'm in those plans or not. This will be a very different offseason for you. How, how do you <laughs> mentally go into an offseason like this? Um, I try to be the same, or I'm going to try to be the same. You know, travel a little bit, hang out with my wife, uh, hang out with my family, enjoy the holidays. You know, I think that's the best thing about baseball. We're able to enjoy Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, but also, you know, I know it's a it's going to be a business as well. You know, you got to go into the off season and really see what's going to happen, see how it, you know the market evolves and everything like that. But also, like I said, you know, if if I'm in those plans of being back at the Washington Nationals, I'd be thrilled. Um, and if I'm not, then I'm not sure what's going to happen. So, um, I mean, I think that's just part of the game. It's part of the business side of the game as well. And uh, we'll see what happens. But I know, you know, I'm going to go on some trips and hang out and. Uh, work out and get ready for you know next year next spring training and uh you know but first i'm gonna enjoy these next you know nine games that we have and uh do everything i can to uh you know win some ball games i'll wrap with this you've mentioned countless times over the years what this city and what this organization has come to mean to you if i asked you how you would encapsulate that all into one one answer how would you how would you phrase it Ah, uh, man. I mean, I've always said it's my second home, and I, I truly believe that. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, Vegas, of course, is my hometown, and I will always have, you know, that in, in my mind, and, you know, I love the city of Las Vegas and the state of Nevada, so, you know, that's definitely my home, but, you know, coming out here at 17 years old, uh, being drafted at 17 and coming out here and, you know, really learning about a city and learning about an organization, learning about a fan base, um, is special. You know, they were the first team to, you know, give me my standing O. And being able to run out to right field or, you know, left field in the early days because Jada, of course, playing right and he wouldn't move. <laughs> um, but being able to run out to left field for the first time and get a standing O as well. Um, hitting my first walk off, um, you know, my first knock, uh, you know, first big play in Nats Park. Um, I mean, those are all the things that I remember because those are. The things that you know stay close to me and I mean there's nothing greater than being part of an organization from that young um, till now and you know things are up in the air of course right now but uh, you never know what's gonna happen and I mean you know I think that last day is definitely gonna be tough um, you know running off the field I mean we were I think we were getting rained on against the Cubs um, the other day and they were pulling the tarp and I kind of was walking off the field uh, just walking, just trying to enjoy it a little bit, you know, taking it all in um, and just trying to, you know, enjoy that moment because um, you never know what's going to happen. And so, I mean, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's it's fun to be part of. There's a lot of great guys on this team. We have a great manager. And, uh, you know, if I'm part of those plans, then, of course, I would love to be a Washington National. Um, but you never know. Bryce, thanks for the time. Wishing you all the best, man. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, John. Um, thanks again to Bryce, and thank thank you for uh, doing a great job editing that piece together uh, on Nats Extra over the last three days. That was really well done. Yeah, no problem, man. It was it, it was a treat, man. You like you said, we don't get to talk to Bryce that at that length that much. So that that was a cool a cool piece we did, and 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 he was open and honest, and it was it was really telling. Um, I'll give my my biggest initial takeaway, uh, and then I'll turn it over to you. Um, I think I had the perception, maybe falsely, maybe not, coming into this year that, you know, I, I never doubted Bryce loving the Nationals, loving D.C., and 
giving everything that he had for this organization. But I, maybe falsely, admittedly, had the perception that he was going into this offseason, you know, in some, maybe very deep in the back of his mind, just kind of saying, you know, I'm excited to see what happens. And if I, you know, re-sign with the Nationals, if they give me the best offer, okay, great. But I'm excited to see what the Phillies have to say or the Cubs have to say or the Dodgers or whatever other team it is. Um, and over the last few months, I've, I've picked up from Bryce, and especially during this conversation with him, picked up that he truly cares about DC. He truly cares about this organization. And you hear it in his voice that he genuinely wants to be back. He admits that it's a business and that it has to be a deal that works for both sides. But you can tell when talking to him, it's not BS. He's not putting on this front to try and get the Nationals to be a bidding party that, that would uh, boost his value and get another team that he might more want to join to contribute more dollars to the, the table. Um, I, I truly do think that this has become a, a place and an organization that has become, you know, he's become a part of the Nationals fabric, and I think the Nationals have become a part of his fabric in a, in a sense. And he, I don't think, is ready to consider the idea that he might not ever be a national again after September 30th. Um, and I, I think there's, there's a lot of factors that will go into whether Bryce is back or not in 2019 and beyond. And we, again, can discuss those at another time. But um, I, I have enjoyed seeing and been interested to see over the last few months and in this conversation, hearing Bryce in my mind, warm to the idea of really being here for the long term and remaining a national because he does love it here. Yeah, it's well said. Um, I, I guess my biggest encapsulation of that interview is everyone saw him at the Home Run Derby and the raw emotion that he displayed when he won. I saw and heard that same raw emotion in this interview. Exuded, in a different form. Exuded completely differently, yeah. but the emotion was just as raw and just as pure. And, and it was really special to see. Um, I'm sure... The Nats, or I hope the Nats fans really liked it um, because you don't see Bryce in that element very more, very much anymore. Because let's be honest, that guy gets so many re media requests nationally, locally, every day of the season from game one to 162. He can't say yes to them all, and he doesn't say yes to them all, rightfully so. And he admittedly goes through the motions a lot of the time with cliches and stock answers and things that he knows won't get him in trouble or won't cause any headlines. Right, and he openly agreed to do this interview the first time you asked him, and much like he does on the field, he delivered. And it was a, it was a, really, good, a really good interview and a really telling interview. And, and you're absolutely right. He clearly has a love for this city. It's not fake. It's not fabricated. It's it's true. It's raw, and it's and it's as pure as it can get. And that and that's really cool, especially from somebody that is from such a different mm -hmm. place in this country, as far as Las Vegas, Nevada, to Washington D.C. You don't get much more polar opposites than that. And he's fallen in love with both of them. So it, it really was cool. I, I I got the sense that he's totally willing to sign here. I also got the sense that he knows that might not even be a possibility. So. Only time will tell in that respect, but, I mean, fantastic interview and fantastic insight from, you know, one of the best players in the game. Yeah, I, I think 
a big factor in this is, and this is something that I mentioned on our Nets Extra pregame show the other day, um, someone signs with an organization, let's say as a 20, or they, they come up to an organization as a 24-year-old. They've already experienced a handful of years of young adulthood. They've matured as a person before joining that organization. Bryce grew up as a national. He grew up here in front of our eyes with the fan base, with Mike Rizzo, with the Lerner family. He, he adores Mr. and Mrs. Lerner, adores them, um, and they adore him. He has become a, a man, a married man, a family man here in this city. And I think that that makes this a different situation than a lot of those when a guy is drafted and plays his six years in a big league club and then goes and signs somewhere else. This is different. This is all that he knows. This is where he became an adult. And I think that um, the fact that he doesn't know anything else and the fact that he is so comfortable and uh, confident here and has come to have his favorite spots in the city. I think that that's significant, and I think that that means something. And um, will that will that be a factor in how he approaches his side of the negotiations? You know, he keeps talking about, I hope I'm in the plans. He certainly has a say in what happens here, too. Um, but to me, the fact that this has all, there's so much has happened during his tenure as a national means maybe a little bit more than it would to another player. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't grow up in the minor leagues and have two years of the big league experience and then become a free agent. He has seven years of big league experience and now is becoming a free agent at 25. So yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And I totally agree with you. And I think there is a small notion of that. He understands and respects that a lot of the great ones play in the same city for their whole career. And there, and I'm not saying that's if you don't do it, like Albert Pujols is a great, but he didn't. But a lot of them did. And his favorite player is Mickey Mantle. He did. And I, I think there's that element that he, he would love to if it's a possibility. So I don't know. I, it's going to be the storyline, the storyline to watch in the offseason because a guy like this oftentimes doesn't hit the free agent market. So, so we'll see. Um, I know if the Nats and him can make it work, they will because, they, like you said, they have a mutual respect and love for each other. I just had this image now as you were talking of, you know, a lot of the teams that have been, and it's all speculation at this point, of course it is, but a lot of the teams that have been speculated as possible landing spots for Bryce are National League teams. I mean, just picture in your head for a second him walking into Nationals Park as a visiting team player or stepping into right field wearing another team's jersey. It just it seems so bizarre to me. Um it's, it's certainly a possibility, but it, it's hard for me to wrap my head right now around that idea. Well, it certainly is. And because – so if he does not sign with the Nats this year and he signs with whoever, Cubs, Dodgers, whatever, he could potentially play there for 12 years. So then when he retires, he's not a national. He's a, he's a whoever else. You know, so for example, like say Ryan Zimmerman's contract's up in a couple of years. He signs somewhere. I'm not saying he is, but he signs somewhere, plays a year or two, and then retires. He's a national. And, yeah, Bryce is always going to be a national to some degree, but he's not going to be remembered as that. as You know, so there's that element of it, too. 
which is just odd to think about, that Bryce would be remembered as something other than a national. Yeah, as a 25-year-old hitting free agency, he maybe has 12 to 15 years of baseball left in him. That's not to say that his next team that he lands with, if it's not the Nationals, will be the one that he plays 12 to 15 years with. But, yeah, it's, um, there's just so much to try and wrap your head around. And, and later on in the podcast, John, I, I want to, to kind of give a little bit of a preachy-type message to, to Nationals fans regarding Bryce's last couple days at Nats Park tonight on Tuesday and especially uh, Wednesday. So we'll, we'll get to that a little bit down the, lo- uh, the road in this episode. Any other final thoughts on, on Bryce here? No, I'm good, but I'm excited to see the next two games for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on. Let's go around the league. Um, let's take a look, John, at the playoff picture. Now, obviously, the Nationals not in it. Um, but as baseball fans, as, as uh, two guys who work in the sport, uh, we're certainly going to be invested in the postseason and how things all shape out. And we have a pretty good idea of who the teams will be. Obviously, there's still a little bit to be decided in the National League where uh, between the Cubs and the Brewers and the Cardinals and the Rockies, there are three spots for those three teams from the Central and the one from the West. I think, what's the Dodgers lead right now in the West? Pretty significant? One and a half. One and a half. Okay, so they could potentially drop back. Um, and let's let's quickly go through how we see um, this taking shape and and who we're rooting for. I'll I'll let you tee it off. Who who do you uh, who do you see yourself pulling for in in the postseason this year? If I pick one team, it's the Athletics. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend in the front office there. They're kind of the feel-good story. They entered this season with the lowest payroll in all of baseball, and they've kind of reinvented Moneyball and made the playoffs, which is really cool. That um, environment and city out there is really rallying around them this year, which has been cool to see from afar. Um, who knows? I mean, they're going to have a tough draw because if, if they win the um, the wild card, then they're going to go to Boston. Yeah. So you get Yankees, and then if you're fortunate enough to make it through, you get the team with potentially the best record in however many years. Right. I mean, I guess the biggest overall question is, can anyone beat the Red Sox? You know, and and who knows? But athletics, for sure, in the uh, American League, uh, it's just hard to root for anybody in the National League, to be be quite honest. I certainly won't root for the Braves or the Cubs or the Dodgers. So it's going to be whoever it's going to be whoever wins the wild card. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on the American League side of things. Um I you know, if the Astros hadn't won it last year, I think I'd be pulling for them cuz I, I love their youth, their exuberance, their energy. Uh but they did win it last year and I, I like seeing new organizations get a chance um to win it. I like the Indians and Terry Francona. I think he runs a good ship over there. Uh but it it's hard to root really for anyone but the Athletics. Um and, you know, a couple familiar faces over there with Blake Trinan and Sean Kelly in that bullpen. Uh, and if they are able to either get the top wild card spot or, you know, just get a couple home games if they end up making it to the DS or beyond. Oco Coliseum is, it's a dump, let's be honest. It's a trash pit. But it can also create a phenomenal environment when, when those fans show up and they are as boisterous as they come. So that could be really cool. In the National League, I'd like to see the Brewers win it. Um, they've, they've got a lot of talent. Geo's over there now. It'll be interesting to see if they make it to a DS, if he gets a start, when in that series he gets a start, because as we know, he hasn't had a lot of postseason success. 
in his career, but he has pitched fairly well for them since uh, going over to Milwaukee via trade. So I, I would probably say the Brewers out of the NL, but like you, uh, it's it's hard to really pull too hard for any team in a, in a league where you thought uh, the team that we cover would be making a deep push. Yeah, I guess you, in the NL, I look around at some of the players on the team. So like if the Rockies can sneak in, in a wild card, like I'll root for Desi to maybe win or win a, uh, win a series or something. Uh, Geo with Milwaukee. But, I mean, I guess, too, with the Braves, like I wouldn't hate if Marcakis won something because he's paid his dues and he's a heck of a player, too. So, But it should be fun. It should be interesting to see. It is exciting that uh, all of the players, if the Brewers do make it and, and the Cardinals make it as well, all of the players that the Nationals traded away before or after the non-waiver deadline, prior to the waiver deadline, would be postseason bound. When you're talking about Sean Kelly, Brandon Kinsler, Daniel Murphy, Matt Adams, Gio Gonzalez, Ryan Madsen, um, that would be pretty cool to see. And, and we'll, uh, you know, these, these are guys that we came to know personally and, and had some positive um, experiences here on the field at Nationals Park, so, so we'll be pulling for them as people. All right, let's take a quick break here on Between Innings. When we come back, we'll wrap up with some on-deck final thoughts. This is Between Innings with Dan Colton. All right, John, uh, we would like to give a big thank you to our friends at Peters and Associates who have been along with us all season long uh, sponsoring us. They specialize in providing tax preparation, tax planning, and accounting services for individuals and small businesses. Aaron and his wife, Megan, both CPAs have operated the business together since 2011. Big time Nats fans. And I believe they're going to make it out, if possible, at least Aaron and his son are, for our final taping of 2018, at least our, our uh, first one into the off season. So we look forward to seeing Aaron in person. Um, for anyone looking to get their taxes in order, have any accounting services that you need taken care of, visit Peters & Associates. Go to their website at www.peterscpa.info. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-C-P-A dot info. Or go to their Facebook page at facebook.com slash CPA. All right, John. Uh, let's get some final thoughts here on deck. So five games remaining as of Tuesday. Weird to think about that, honestly. Um, but... Only a few games left, two more at Nationals Park, and then we head out to Denver for what should be a really good environment, as we just talked about the Rockies, um, very much in the postseason mix, and that should be cool to be at Coors Field um, with some packed houses, some cold temperatures, I'm sure, and some exciting baseball. Um, I'll, I'll start this off with, uh, with my on-deck thoughts, and for me, it's, um, you know, we, we talked so much about Bryce earlier in, the sh in this episode. It's the way that he is going to be, um, I don't want to say treated, but the type of response that he's going to get from Nationals fans Tuesday night and Wednesday evening at Nationals Park. Potentially his final two home games as a member of the Nationals. And I know that the weather is not great. I know that the standings are what they are. These games don't have any meaning for this team in terms of playoff consequences. But I really hope that Nationals fans show up to Nats Park and are vocal. That they express to Bryce how much he means to them. 
because trust me when I tell you that these guys hear these things and they're meaningful to them. And um, certainly, you know, Bryce is disappointed. We, we all are that he wasn't, at least to this point in his tenure as a national, able to have a parade down Pennsylvania Avenue, as he has talked about so many times, and, and lifting a trophy over his head to hundreds of thousands of Nats fans. That moment hasn't happened. But he has provided so much for this organization in terms of helping to usher in a, a new era of winning and expectations. And um, I just think that we should pull back and, and have a big picture view of what he's meant to this city, to this organization, helping to put the Nationals on the map and uh, let him hear it. Let, let him hear how much you appreciate him, what it's been like watching him. Uh, and I, I know that that he will that, that will mean something to him. So I, I hope that we see big crowds the next couple of days at Nats Park, and I hope that um, Nats fans are, are able to give Bryce a very nice, I don't want to say send-off, but a nice final um, moment in 2018 here at Nats Park. And maybe it won't make an enormous difference to where he signs, but I'm sure it would be nice for him to go walk off the field at Nats Park the last time to a huge ovation or his last at bat, like make him give you a cap tip or something, just for him to remember that when when he is you know at home in Las Vegas in the winter and, he, and he's making the real decision of where to sign. You know, he, he has expressed, expressed his love for these fans time and time again. So I, I'm sure um, the fans will show up and, and give him a loud ovation, but, and he certainly deserves it. It won't be the ferocity with which the cheers rain down upon him after his home run derby win a few months ago. So it's not an apples to apples comparison, but I can tell you that that moment when he was feeling the love from the D.C sports community meant so much to him. I can tell you that for a fact. And so if he's able to get some version of that type of love Tuesday and Wednesday, I it will mean a lot to him as well. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I totally agree. So hopefully they show up and, and turn out for him and, and can uh, do it right for him. John, what do you got for on deck? We've made a lot about uh, Max Scherzer's season and some of the milestones he is or was approaching. 20 wins was in the mix for a long time. It looks like he could he could get to 19 at most. Uh, he starts tonight, Tuesday night, and then he'll start the finale Sunday in, in Colorado. Uh, 300 strikeouts is still a possibility, and that is a monster accomplishment. It really is. There's only been like four pitchers to do it in the last almost 20 years. So that's a huge one. But if you dig a little deeper, which I tend to do, um, he, it's not this season that is is so impressive. It is so impressive, but the most impressive for Max. If you If you extend it and consider that He's coming off back-to-back Cy Youngs. So if you look at his three-year span from 16-17 in this season to 18, if he allows 13 hits or less in the next two starts, he will be the only pitcher ever with 800 strikeouts or more and fewer than 450 hits allowed in a three-year span. So, I mean, that's, I know it's just two stat categories, but that, I mean, ever, no one's ever done that. And he would be the third pitcher in the live ball era, so like 1920, with 800-plus strikeouts and a sub-190 opponent batting average against in a three-year three span. The, the two that he would join would be Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan. What'd they ever accomplish? Right. And then even if you back it up to 2015, so in his time as a national, unless he walks four batters in the next two starts, 
he's at 196. He would be the only pitcher ever with 1,100 plus strikeouts and 200 or fewer walks in a four-year span. I mean, that's that's some serious stuff. And and so it's not just 300 Ks. It's it's these longer uh, agendas that he has that are just so impressive. And I know we take it for granted, or maybe we don't. I don't even know. But we're lucky as hell to watch Max Scherzer pitch every five days. He's a future Hall of Famer. He's the best pitcher in baseball right now over the last three or four years as a national. And if he can finish strong, get 300, maybe check off these kind of checklist categories. It's just it's just special, and it's fun to watch. It really is. I got one more for you just to add to the list of kind of rambling, very impressive uh, statistical accomplishments for Max. If he, you know, barring a blow-up in the walks plus hits per innings pitched category, the whip, he would become just the third pitcher since 1910 to have a whip below 1.0 in four straight seasons. The other two, Sandy Koufax and Walter Johnson. Big track. He would be the first pitcher to accomplish that in over 50 years. So that's four years, stretching it back even a little bit further, of absolute dominance. You talk about all these $100 million contracts that are handed out to starting pitchers these days, and there have been you know story after story written about how many of them turn out to be disappointments, either because of the performance of that starting pitcher or injury, or both. And there's still a few years left on Max Scherzer's contract. But he has now been here 15, 16, 17, 18, four years of his seven-year deal. And you can already put this contract down as a massive win. Just because of the four seasons that he has put up, it's been absolutely ridiculous what he's accomplished. Yeah, the Nats have him through the 2021 season. So three more years of Max Scherzer every five days. The window's not closing. Indeed. All right, John, um, that'll do it for this week's episode. Um, we'll have some fun out in Denver. We'll, get, we'll have some uh, ball games for you guys the rest of the way. And then we'll be back sometime after the season ends to put a final bow on the 2018 season and look forward to what I keep saying is going to be the most interesting offseason in Nationals history. John, thanks for being here, buddy, and uh, talk to you in a little bit. You got it, man. That'll do it for this episode of Between Innings with Dan Colco. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again to Bryce for sitting down with me a few days ago for that really reflective chat. That was a lot of fun. Um, we'll check in sometime after the season. Ride it out with us the rest of the way. And uh, enjoy baseball while we have it, folks. Enjoy it. This has been Between Innings with Dan Colco.